you haven't been here before on a Wednesday night, I want to encourage you to come back when the preacher's in town. Uh, I love Sundays. I love the choir. I love everything that goes on on Sundays. But I'm kind of a... Uh, I really enjoy Wednesday nights. I enjoy the Bible study, and, and, and I, I look forward to that to each, each week. And if uh, hopefully we can have a good night tonight and, and kind of carry on some of the things, some of the topic that we've been talking about already. Uh, how many of you seen the sign out there? It looks great, doesn't it? It's exciting, man. Good. Got uh, the sign done. Hopefully got in the beginning stages, moving towards the parking lot. It's great to see improvements and, and new things. Kind of makes me think about that old country church that had uh, some extra money in the building fund. And they couldn't decide how they were going to spend it. So they were going to have a deacon's meeting and everybody get together and kind of decide how they were going to spend the money. And this one older deacon that didn't really go to to the deacon's meetings a whole lot anymore, decided he was going to go because they were spending some money. He wanted to be a part of it. <clears throat> how that goes. And so they come together, and this one guy raises his hand. He says, I make a motion that we spend this money on a chandelier. The second guy raised his hand. He said, I second that motion, that we spend the money on a chandelier. The moderator of the meeting said, well, before we vote on this, does anybody have anything they want to say? That older deacon that had come, he raised his hand. He said, yeah, I've got a few things I'd like to say. And, man, everybody turned around and paid attention because, you know, he was an elder statesman of the church. And he said, first of all, he said, I don't know that there's anybody educated enough in this church when we get ready to order this chandelier out of the Sears catalog to even know how to spell it. He said, second of all, if we do order this chandelier and we get it here at the church, I'm positive there's nobody here that knows how to play it. <laughs> he said, but most important, if we're going to spend some money here at the church on something, I really think we ought to spend it on some lighting. <laughs> so if you're not happy with the sign or the parking lot, see Dustin, it's his fault. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 <clears throat> Verse 13 and 14 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this evening, the opportunity to come together and study your word. We ask you to meet with us, and Holy Spirit be our God and our teacher tonight. And we thank you for your goodness, and we hope that all we do tonight will bring honor and glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. We look here at this verse just kind of as a way of review. Now, you know, I, I'm trying my PowerPoints out here with you guys on Wednesday night. I normally use them uh, on Friday nights in life recovery, but I'm not sure how they're going to work here. But we're going to try it anyway. Um, the first thing that we want to look at as, as a little background is this, is, is this path to salvation. And in, Paul gives a great explanation of, of how this thing works. The first thing that he talks about, okay, right about there is when I'm going to need that path to salvation. There we Well, there's the verse. Well, let's go to the next one. There we go. So just leave it right there for a second. All right. Uh, this path to salvation, Paul gives a description in this verse. He talks about how the, the first thing is that we hear. Um, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It also says, how shall we hear without a preacher? The first thing that is, that is imperative, that is a crucial part of our salvation experience is that we hear the gospel. There's, um, and that, that Bible also says that God chose the foolishness of preaching 
to save the hearts of men. I'm not against other venues and other ways and uh, cantatas and singings and dramas. and Those are all great things, but nothing replaces the preaching of the gospel to draw lost sinners to Christ. Because what happens is, when the preacher preaches the gospel, he communicates, or an individual preaches the gospel to another individual, same thing. The next thing that happens is that Holy Spirit begins to work and draws that person. And they're convicted of the state in which they're in. The sin that has separated them from God. So they hear, they're convicted, and then they have to decide whether or not to believe what they've heard. Well, after they make that decision to believe what they've heard, then they have to exercise their free will to either trust with faith or deny what they've heard. And in this passage right here, Paul writing to the church of Ephesus, he is describing how that a person will hear and be convicted and believe and put their trust in what they've heard. And this is an account of how salvation works. And he says in the verse... And what he's saying is, after this takes place, it says, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. In 1904, in an archaeologist excavation in, in uh, Megado, I guess Megado, Israel, it was a place over in the Holy Lands, they uncovered a seal of a guy named Shema. And the seal was a picture of a line, and this line uh, was this guy's identification. It was a line, and it said, Shema, the servant of Jeroboam. And you know, the history that is involved in that seal and what that did is an amazing thing. So it, it's, there's no telling what this servant for the king of Jeroboam had sealed with that seal, what kind of documents and what kind of certificates and what kind of important things that he had sealed with that. You see, in this time, they didn't have email. They didn't even have regular mail. This seal was that person's identity. And this picture right here shows you now, I was going to try to set up a little thing here and have Jalen help me and do an actual seal. I was scared to death we'd get wax all over this floor and Dustin would have a heart attack, and I'm not giving him CPR, so we, uh, we just went with pictures. Uh, <laughs> what, what they would do is they would light this candle and this wax, and you may have a perfect understanding of this without me showing you these pictures, but I just want to make sure you get what this seal is. They would light this candle, and they would melt this wax, and then they would take that seal or that signet, and they would melt that wax over the paper where it joined, kind of like you seal an envelope. You know, nowadays we address it and lick it and seal it. But what these people did in this day is they closed up that paper, and they put that wax on there, and they sealed it with that signet. And that seal identified who that person was that was sending it. And that seal, when Paul used this illustration, everybody that's reading this, this letter to the church of Ephesus, they understood exactly what a seal was. But if you used email terminology talking to them, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't understand that. Similar to how somehow, so it's possible, I know you guys are really smart, much smarter than me, but it's possible that someone in here may not completely understand what the inner workings and how a seal worked in that time, because we don't use those things now. But those people in the time when Paul wrote this letter, they understood exactly what Paul meant when he used the illustration of the Holy Spirit being a seal. So that's what we want to talk about 
for just a few minutes this evening are the features of a seal and what it does. We're going to start in Genesis chapter 41, verses 40 through 42. You know the story about Joseph? Joseph had uh, dreams, uh, he had aspirations, and God had given him visions, and he'd shared these things with his brothers, and uh, out of jealousy they had faked his death and sold him into slavery to the Midianites, and then they hauled him to Egypt and sold him to the Egyptians, and, and he has a little good fortune, and he's bought purchased at the slave trade by a guy named Potiphar, and he, he goes to work at Potiphar's house, and things seem to be going pretty good for Joseph. They're on the upswing. He gets <coughs> framed by Potiphar's wife, and as a result, he gets thrown into an Egyptian dungeon. Now, it's hard to tell sometimes in the scripture how the time frame and the timeline works out, but you know, there's a good chance that Joseph spent several years in this dungeon and in this prison, and things were difficult for him there, as you can imagine how they would be in a medieval time like that, or in a prehistoric time like that, in, a, in an incarcerated situation, how terrible that would be. So, he goes before the king, the king had been having these dreams and visions, and through some other people, they shared with the king, there's a guy in the dungeon who can interpret these visions for you, and he can tell you what they mean. So the king calls Joseph forward, or Pharaoh calls Joseph to his court, and Joseph interprets these dreams for Pharaoh, and the things that he tells him comes to fruition, and it's true, and Pharaoh figures this out. And here's how he responded in Genesis 41, verses 40 through 42. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according unto thy words shall all my people be ruled. Only in the throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen, and put a gold chain about his neck. And you know, I had never noticed this until I read this today. When you go into, you know, most of what we know is either through pictures or through, you know, some type of television show, but... If you see a, a, a court, a king's court or a royal court, there's always a lot of people in there, you know? A lot, of, a lot of different dignitaries that are in the setting. And they all have on nice clothes and they all have on fancy jewelry and accessories that go along with the, with the royal garb that they're wearing. And here comes Joseph out of the dungeon. you got to figure Joseph's probably a little ragged looking. I'm sure he didn't smell the greatest. He probably had a long beard and tattered clothes, and he comes in. And when these things work out, Pharaoh cleans him up, puts some royal clothes on him. He puts that fancy gold chain on him. Now, all of a sudden, Joseph looks exactly like everybody else that's in the court. You know, there's a lot of people that'll be here probably tonight, for sure on Sunday morning. And they'll look the part. They'll have on the right clothes. They'll have the right accessories with them. They may have their Bible or a notebook and a pen and a bulletin. And they look the part. But you know, there was something that separated Joseph from the rest of the people that were in this court. You know what that was? That ring. 
That ring, that ring was a seal of Pharaoh's, and it made him special and different than everybody else that was in that crowd. You know what? Church has a lot of people in it. There are a lot of people who come. There are a lot of people who claim to be a certain place and at a certain status as far as Christianity goes, but they're missing something very significant. And the thing that separates them is that seal of the Holy Spirit. The first thing, the first feature or the first benefit of a seal that we see is that of power. Now, I've been working on, that's, that's a, there was two types of seals or signets. They would either be on a chain, usually around their neck, or they may wear them on a ring. And it was very important that this stay close to them. It was guarded, protected with their life because this thing actually represented who they were. I... Some of you know I've talked to you, and I've, I've begged free labor out of many of you. Uh, I'm working on a, uh, I'm remodeling my house, and um, I've noticed something that these power tools really don't operate very well unless you have them plugged in. Have, have you ever noticed that, that if you've got two power tools sitting there and you've got one extension cord, it's never the one that you need to use that's plugged up? Have you ever noticed that? You always have to unplug the one you don't need and then plug up the one that you do need. And, but in order for it to operate properly, you've got to have it plugged into the power source. And that's exactly how we live today in our lives. We have a power source that is available to us that we don't plug into. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 13, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by a spirit that dwelleth in you. Now let's stop right there for a second. Did you catch that? The same power that Jesus that raised Jesus from the dead, if you're saved, if you're a Christian, and you've been sealed with that Holy Spirit seal, you have that same power within you. That's a pretty big deal. The verse goes on to say, Therefore, because you have this, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of this body, ye shall live. Now, do you understand what that just said there? To mortify something would be to, to destroy, to kill it. Something that's immortal doesn't die. Something that is mortal or mortified, it is dead. So what it's saying here is, in order for us to have victory over the flesh, the first thing that we have power over with that Holy Spirit is we have power over the flesh. When we plug into that power that's available to us through the Holy Spirit's seal, we have a power that we didn't have before salvation. Before we put our trust in Christ, before we gained access to this Holy Spirit, there was no hope for us to not sin or to do right or to live a decent, clean, moral life. There was no chance of that because before salvation, your righteousness is as filthy rags. And the only way that you have a hope of doing it after salvation is when you walk in the Spirit. The Bible says if you walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Ephesians 3.16 says that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. The strength, the place that we get that strength, that ability to be able to overcome this flesh, 
that, that wants to constantly bring us down is simply through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's no need for me to reteach this because preacher made it perfectly plain a couple of Sundays ago. That power is synonymous with what? The Bible. It doesn't come in a vision. It doesn't come in an experience. It doesn't come in... It comes through one thing. The, the description of a person who is filled or controlled with the Holy Spirit, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, is the same thing in Colossians chapter 3 that it says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. And the result of that is psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Here's how it works. If you have an anger problem, and you just can't seem to get victory over your anger, let me make a suggestion to you. Let's go old school, okay? Purchase you some 3 by 5 cards. Look up every verse you can find about anger and controlling your spirit in Proverbs. Write those verses down on a 3 by 5 card. Carry them around in your pocket and meditate and read and, and memorize those verses. And when an opportunity arises that you want to get angry, guess what will happen? The Holy Spirit will bring to memory those verses that you have put there. That's how a person is controlled by the Holy Spirit. I love the yeah buts. We start talking about the Holy Spirit. We start talking about these things. And somebody inevitably will say, yeah, but. It's very simple. The power of the Holy Spirit comes through Scripture. It comes through the Word of God. It doesn't come through some individual experience that a person has. It comes through the Word of God. That's where that power to overcome the flesh comes from. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The next source or the next thing that we are powered to be able to do. You know, I've thought about this, and I actually heard somebody else say this, and I thought it was good, so I stole it. <clears throat> that's, what, that's what preachers do. Uh, <laughs> he said, you know, if I were in heaven, if you ask somebody, why are we here? What is the purpose of a person being here on earth or being in existence you get a lot of different answers. Some people are going to say, well, you know, God created man to fellowship, to have someone. And, and I believe there's some truth to that. I understand where a person's coming from when they say that. But you know what? I could really fellowship better if I were in heaven with the Lord. Now, I've been separated for an extended period of time from my wife. Well, here recently I was in Mexico City for a week. And um, we talked. We talked on the phone. We even uh, FaceTimed. I could actually see her and talk to her and interact. But nothing replaces when we're together. You know, there's no, there's no replacement for that. You know, if I really wanted to have great fellowship with the Lord, I, I feel like I do. Sometimes I feel like I have better fellowship than other times with the Lord and a better relationship than others. But I know if I were with Him, <coughs> it would be totally different. Some people, if you ask them that question, what is the purpose of us being here? Why are we here? Some people would say, so that we can bring honor and glory to the Lord. That would be a great answer. I'm about to choke, excuse me. That would be a great answer because I think that's what our purpose is, is to bring honor and glory to the Lord. But I'm telling you, I could do that better if I were standing in front of him, if I could see him. It's kind of like this. I've been sitting in the living room before while my wife was cooking supper. And I could smell it in there. And I could hear the, the, the chicken fried steak frying in the pan. And I could, You know, I love the sound of a blender as it's bumping up against the metal sides of a pan. Because I know it's some mashed potatoes that are being blended. Isn't that great? It's a wonderful sound. 
hearing the way the, the spoon scrapes on the pan as they're making that gravy after you take the chicken fried steak. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And all that's great. And the sounds of it and the smell of it. And I could even, she could even holler in there and tell me, hey, we're having chicken fried steak, mashed potatoes and gravy and homemade biscuits. And I could be really excited. But nothing is like when I sit down at the table and I'm, my appreciation level goes way up when I can see it sitting there. So I could bring a whole, it would be a lot easier for me. I would be a lot better at bringing honor and glory to the Lord if I could really see Him and interact with Him. Would you agree with that? But you know there's only one thing that I cannot do better in heaven than I can on earth. You know what that is? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. For what reason? And ye shall be witnesses unto men both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to uttermost parts of the earth. The one thing that I cannot do better in heaven than I can do on earth is to be a witness to a lost and dying world. Because it's impossible for me to do that if I'm in heaven. The only way that I can do that, the only way that I can have a possibility of, of accomplishing that task is if I'm on earth amongst them. So we've been given the power and the ability to be a witness to people. And you know what? I, I hear people say, well, you know what? You're a talker. You're a car salesman. Of course you can talk to people. Well, yes, I, I probably have had more experience with talking to people than some of you have. But you know what? You know what being a witness consists of? Let me boil it down to the simplest. Sharing with someone what the Lord's done for you. It doesn't get any simpler than that. What did he do for you? Well, there was a point I realized that I was a sinner. And when I realized I was a sinner, I asked God to forgive me for my sins and to save me, and I put my trust in him to take me to heaven when I die. Guess what you just did? You just witnessed to someone. It's just that simple. You just tell other people what he did for you. That's a great start. And that is the only thing that we can do on earth better than we could do in heaven. And that is precisely why we've been left here. The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 how that we've been reconciled back to God through the work of Christ on Calvary. We've been joined back to Him and given the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given the job to go out and win the lost to Christ. And in this verse, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he talks about Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And the easiest way to explain that is here, near, and far away. There are people that are dying right here in Coleman County that we need to help that we need to tell about Jesus, that we need to be a witness to. People that you work with, your neighbor across the fence, uh, lost family members. There are people on the outside of Coleman, around in surrounding states, around the United States, that we need to be working and involved in ministry and mission-type work to be a, a witness and a testimony to. And then those are, there are those in foreign nations that have never, you know, unreached people groups who've never heard the name of Jesus, have no idea who Jesus is. I'm going to tell you something. If you've never been on a mission trip, and this is a commercial for the missions and outreach ministry here, if you've never been on a missions trip, I encourage you to do it. Nothing has ever affected me, I don't think, like standing at that Hindu temple. As they went through those rituals and placed that body on that wood and burned a literal body right in front of me, I, I cannot describe to you how that affected me. 
I can't describe to you the evil that I felt in this place. And these people that are completely ignorant to the gospel. And I asked the, the man that was with us, Dr. Nelms, I said, how in the world this temple was built about the same time that Jesus was... Hinduism is as old as Christianity. How do we come over here and tell them about Jesus and they turn their back on what they've known their entire life for generations and generations and trust in what we tell them? He said, it's real simple. Faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. When a person hears truth, it changes them. They believe in it. They trust in it. And you know what? We have the truth. We encompass the truth. We, we have it, and we hoard it, and we keep it, and we don't share it with other people. We have a life-changing story that has occurred right here. That, listen, the odds are there may be a couple of people in here tonight that you're playing a, a charade, and you're lost, and you've never put your trust in Christ, and for some reason you're here on a Wednesday night at a Bible study. But for the most part, everybody in here is saved. And you know what? You have a life-changing story. You have something that has changed your life and somebody else needs to hear about it. And you know what we do? We hoard it. We keep it. How do you explain that? While there are people all around you, there are people just a little ways away from you, and there are people far away from you that are dying and have never heard the name of Jesus. So we've been given the power not only over the flesh, but also the power to be a witness to a lost and dying world. As the first feature of a, of, a, of a seal is it represents power. You see, Joseph, when the king gave him that signet, when the king gave him that ring, it was just like Pharaoh said it when, when, when Joseph stamped that, that seal with the king's seal, it was just like the king had said. He had the same power as the king. You know what's great about being sealed with the Holy Spirit? God sealed us, and we can act with his authority and his power over the flesh, and we can act with his power and authority in being witnesses to a lost and dying world. It's a wonderful thing. Not only does this seal represent power, but the next thing, I remember when I was in the 10th grade, for Christmas, I got my, well, it was the only one I ever got. I got my letter jacket. Um, I was very fortunate in high school. I grew up in Texas. Uh, I wasn't that great of a football player, but I played on a really good team. A lot of good players on the team. Uh, we won a state championship my junior year. In, in three years, we went like 33-6 and six and went to the state championship once, won it one year. And so those letter jackets were really important to us. They were really a big deal. But the reason it was so great is because when I got that letter jacket and I put that letter on there, it validated me. You know what I mean? It made me authentic. I was part of them. And I remember after we won the state championship and we got those patches that were the state of Texas that said 13-0 and state champs. Man, we'd walk through the mall like we owned it because we were, we were all part of something. We were, it, was an, it was a thing that made us authentic. You understand? And here's the thing. That seal is an authentic thing. In 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 8, you know the story about how Jezebel wanted this vineyard that belonged to Naboth. And she, she, Naboth wouldn't sell it, and she gets really angry about it, and so she takes Ahab's seal, and she writes a letter, and she seals that letter 
with Ahab's seal. And what that letter, that seal did is it authenticated that letter. It made that letter legitimate. I felt like when I got that letter jacket, I was authentic. I was legitimate. I belonged to something. Let me tell you something. When you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you've been authenticated. First uh, 1, 1 Kings 21, 8, it says, So she wrote, a, wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters unto the elders and to the nobles that were in his city dwelling in Naboth. It was just like Ahab had written the letters himself. You see, when we as Christians are saved and we are sealed with that Holy Spirit, we become authentic. And there's some things that are, that are very authentic about being uh, sealed with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 tells us, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For through Him... Ephesians 2, verses 18 and 19, it says, For through him we both have access by one Spirit into the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with saints and of the household of God. As I mentioned earlier, I've been on two missions trips here recently. I went to to, uh, Nepal back in February, and recently I went to Mexico City. You know what? There's nothing like the anticipation of, of, of a trip. Whether you're going to Nepal or to Lacon. I mean, you know, if you're going on a trip, you guys ever been to Lacon on a trip? It's really nice. It's a great place. There's a Lacon motel. There's the, the, the flea market. Uh, there's hurricane cruise. A lot of things to do there. I'm thinking about making up a brochure for it, seeing if I can make some money on it. But the anticipation of going on a trip, man, it's great, isn't it? You're looking forward to the fun things you're going to do. You're going down to the beach. You're going to ride go-karts and get a sunburn and play in the ocean and build sandcastles and do all of those things that people love to do at the beach. You're looking so forward to it. I was really fired up about traveling out of the country, you know, going to some place, seeing some things I'd never seen before. You know, things here in, in the United States are really not that old, honestly, especially in the South. Thanks to Sherman, nothing is that old. But um, well, you go over there. Well, we were in a, in a portion of the city that it's like everything there is several thousand years old. These buildings are a couple thousand years old. That's, so the anticipation of seeing those things, uh, Mount Everest, the historical things, there, those, th- that's great. You look so forward to a great trip. But I'm going to tell you something. There's nothing, nothing like walking down that hallway when you get back and there's a person standing there and they say, Welcome to the United States. There's nothing like that. The anticipation of going is great, but the relief and the joy of getting back home to the United States, as frustrated as I get with it, and don't get me started, there's still nothing like it. There's nothing like walking in and they say, welcome to the United States. I say, well, what are you talking about welcome? This is where I'm from. Don't be called talking to me like I'm a foreigner. I live here. You know what we're authenticated as? First of all, citizens of the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about how that we are ambassadors. They're reading about ambassadors. And, you know, the thing that I didn't really completely understand until I read it is that not only is an ambassador a citizen and a representative of the United States, but when you go to that consulate or that embassy where the ambassador is, that is actual the United States there, where they're at. When you step into that 
territory and you cross that line into where that consulate is, you're in the United States. You know what? We may not be physically in heaven yet, but our citizenship is already there. And we are representatives here. And you are an authentic citizen of the kingdom of God if you've put your trust in Christ and you've been sealed with that Holy Spirit. You can bet you are legitimate because of that seal. See, when, when Jezebel wrote that letter and she sealed it and it was arrived to the people that it was sent to, it was serious and they knew it was a real thing and it was the, it was the, 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 the legitimate product because it had that seal on it. Let me tell you something. When Satan comes along, to bother you. And in that spiritual realm, one of his imps or principalities comes upon you. He looks at you and he sees that seal of the Holy Spirit. And he knows, I'm not just messing with a regular guy here. This guy's legitimate. He's already a citizen of heaven, of the kingdom of God. He just happens to be a temporary ambassador at this spot right here. And the thing about being a Christian and being sealed with that Holy Spirit is that we are authentic. We are legitimate. There's something about that passport that says that I'm a citizen of the United States. But there's something much greater about that seal of the Holy Spirit that says I'm an authentic citizen of the kingdom of God. Not only that, not only are we authentic citizens of the kingdom of God, but if this doesn't fire you up. I'm not sure what to do with you. Romans chapter 8 verses 14 through 16 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you're not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You know, not only are we authentic citizens of the kingdom of God, but we are authentic children of God. You know, on a much bigger scale than this, it's funny how that, and I don't know what your family's like, but my family, when we get to, even when we're not together, there's something about, my dad had four brothers, or three brothers, so there were four Robertson boys, and all of these Robertson men have got sons, and when there's something about that name that we carry, that means a lot to us. That may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to us. And it's important to us. And when all of us happen to be together somewhere, my cousin Joey and Matt and GT and Leslie and, and, and these guys that bear that same last name, Robertson, there's a certain amount of pride and understanding. It's an unspoken thing amongst us that we're part of something. And it means a lot to us. But you know what? As... as small as that is and as poor of an illustration as that is, as great as it is to me to be Dalton Robertson's son, what about the fact that I'm a son of the living God? I'm a son of the creator of this entire universe. When I got saved and I put my trust in Christ, I was sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And as a result of that, I was adopted into the family of God and I was legitimized as an authentic child of God. That changes how you operate. That changes how you walk and how you live and how you carry yourself. That changes how you do battle in spiritual warfare with the devil because now you have a chance because you have a heavenly father that's in your corner. I've told this story before 
about the time I got in trouble, there was a big fight at a football game, and I happened, it wasn't my fault, I'm just going to tell you, I promise. But I was in the middle of it. <laughs> and so um, I got a call on a Sunday evening from my football coach, and he said, you need to be in the administrator's office in the morning at 7.30. Well, school starts at 8, so I know if I'm going to be there at 7.30, it means it's going to take at least 30 minutes for them to wear me out about, you know, whatever's coming. And uh, I um, come, come walking out of the kitchen. My dad and mom are sitting in the living room. My dad said, who's that? And I said, I was Coach McClain. i got to be I'd be in the uh, administrator's office in the morning at, 11 uh, at 7.30. He said, about what? I said, he said, about that fight. I said, yes, sir. He said, okay. So I go on about my business and go to bed. Next morning, I get up and come downstairs. And my dad worked. We lived in Fort Worth. My dad worked in Dallas. So he had about an hour drive every morning. He was already long gone for work every morning when I got up. And I remember walking into the kitchen that morning. I'll never forget it. My dad's sitting there in a suit drinking a cup of coffee talking to my mom. I said, hey, Pop, what's up? He said, we got a meeting with the administrator of school this morning, don't we? I said, yes, sir, I guess we do. <laughs> I remember riding in the car with him, and I was kind of a little nervous, but I was kind of swelled up, too. <laughs> this story's kind of hard for me to tell. I remember getting to school, and I start walking towards the administration building. And I remember him putting his hand over my chest. He said, hold up, where are you going? I said, well, i got to go to this meeting. He said, no, you ain't got to go to this meeting. He said, I'll take care of this. You go into class. I didn't have to go to the meeting. Dad took care of me. You know what? As great as it is to have a dad that's got your back like that, think about who really has our back. When things get difficult and things get hard and we get by, you know, against the grind and life seems like it's just getting to be too much, you remember who your heavenly Father is. The Bible says right there, because we've been sealed with this Holy Spirit, that we are authentic, real deal, legitimate, certificate of authentication, children of God. I got that off of a, a, one of those home shopping channels. I practiced all day to say that, and I still messed it up. But isn't that great? That we're children of God. And when things get really bad, you know what? God will say, hey, hold up. I got this. I'll take care of this. We always have him in our corner. Not only do we have the authenticity that goes along with that seal, but in Jeremiah 32, verses 9 through 14, not going to read this whole passage because it's kind of long, but the story is this. Jeremiah is going to buy a piece of property that had belonged to his family, and before it could be sold, it had to be offered to a family member, and he agrees to buy it, and they agree on a price. And the verse says, Thus saith the Lord, in Jeremiah 32, verses 9 through 14, towards the end, it says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed... And this evidence which is opened, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may continue many days. Here's how the process worked. They would take the contract and the agreement that these two people had come to, and everybody had signed it and done everything, and they would roll that thing up, and they would put that wax on there, and each of them would seal it with a seal. And they'd put that down in a clay pot. And then they would take one that matched the one that was sealed, 
that wasn't sealed. It was open so you could read it. And they'd roll it up and put it down in the same clay pot. And they'd put a, a, a waterproof seal on that. And then they would take it and they would bury it in a certain place and they would put a landmark there. And that's how they deeded property then. And this seal indicated ownership. You see, when a person sealed a document with their seal, that meant they owned that document. They were taking possession. I'm working on some transcript things, trying to get my education completed, and Athens State University has told me, if you will call and have them send us a letter that says that they own those transcripts, then we'll accept them. That seal was the same thing. It says, I own this. I own this piece of property. I own this document. I'm the owner of what this piece of paper represents and what this seal represents. You know what happened when we got saved? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, What know ye not? That your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God. And ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You see, when we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, that was an indication of ownership. The Holy Spirit was a seal that said God owns this piece of property. You know what happens... I'm driving down the road the other day, and I see a really close altercation. Somebody pulls out in front of another guy, and I mean, I've seen the whole thing. Guy pulls out in front of one, guy slams on the brakes, swerves, barely misses it, and man, when he pulls up beside that guy, he is giving him the what for, all right? I mean, he's giving him the business, and I don't think everything he was saying was Sunday school words either. He was, he was telling this guy all about pulling out in front of him. And of course, the guy that pulled out in front of him, he responds back, and they're going back and forth at each other. Now, you know what? I wasn't mad about it. It didn't make me mad. You know why? He didn't pull out in front of me. So I didn't care. Wasn't my car that he almost hit. That guy in front of me. Told you a story about when we were kids, we were ramping bicycles. Y'all remember that story? The kid was ramping by, we were outside ramping by, the kid up the street comes up, and he starts ramping with us, and he's got a new bike. He starts ramping, and he tears his bike all to pieces, and every time he ramps, we laugh harder, because something else falls off his new bike. And, and we think it's funny, and we're laughing, and he rides back to the house, and his bike's making noises, and clang, 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 and we're just la- we're crying, we're laughing so hard. You know why we were laughing? Wasn't my bike. I was riding an old junkie bike we'd put together and built from some old, it didn't matter if it got tore up, but he had a new fancy bike, and it was funny that his new fancy bike got tore up because it wasn't my bike. You know why we get mad and we get offended and we get our feelings hurt and we get tore up because Sister Flapjaw said such and such? Because we're protecting our rights. We're maintaining ownership of something that is not ours. You see, when we were saved, we were bought with a price. And that means I don't belong to myself anymore. I was sealed with that Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit seal says that I belong to God. So when somebody mistreats me, when somebody does something bad to me, when somebody hurts my feelings, you know what you say? Not my bike. God didn't pull that in front of me. 
but we constantly want to protect and guard what's not even ours. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. So this ownership, this seal shows that we don't belong to ourselves anymore. We belong to Him. So this seal, features of this seal, the things that we're talking about, first of all is the power that goes along with it. Man, Joseph had the power of Pharaoh because he had that signet seal. The authenticity of it. When, when Jezebel wrote that letter and she stamped it with that seal, that meant that this letter was legit. It was authentic. Man, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am a legitimate, for real child of God. And you know what? When, when uh, Jeremiah sealed that document in that land purchase deal, it meant that he was the owner of that land. When, when we were saved, when we were redeemed and reconciled back to God, we, we no longer belong to ourselves. We're bought with a price. And we should relinquish those rights and those things that we're constantly getting upset and getting offended over and mad because this person did that and this person did this and I don't like this and I don't like that lady and I don't like what that guy said. You're protecting what doesn't belong to you. And when you relinquish those things, man, the pressure and the freedom that you feel from that cannot be described because you're not your own. You're bought with a price. The last thing. And maybe the most important, I, I don't know, probably the most controversial thing. In the book of Daniel, well, they got ready to throw Daniel in the lion's den. You've got to understand the story. The reason they threw Daniel in the lion's den is some guys that were jealous of Daniel had cooked, uh, had kind of framed him in a way that, that he wasn't supposed to be praying three times a day like he was. And they got the king to kind of agree to it and, he made this edict or this law that if you prayed for 30 days, then you'd be thrown into the lion's den. And, and really, the king uh, loved Daniel. And he was upset when it all transpired and worked out the way it did, but he couldn't go back on what he said. So he agreed to throw Daniel in the lion's den. And what they did, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 17, says, And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. I used to work for a furniture company. We built furniture. And I worked in shipping. And my, my job was, I was the billing clerk. And they would back these trucks up, and I would have a bill of laden. And I would have to stand right at the truck. I had a lot of government accounts. So this furniture was built for a lot of military bases. And I would have to stand there, and I would have to watch as each one of those things was put on to this semi-truck. And I would have to check it off and make sure that everything that was on this bill of laden went into that truck. And in my hand, while I'm checking this off, I had a little metal tab with a number on it. It's called a seal. Got that picture up there? That truck? I don't know where we're at. Yeah, see that truck right there? You see that thing? And after I checked all this off, they loaded all that stuff. I had to physically take my hands and shut that door and lock that trailer down and put that seal through that and lock it on there. And that number that was on that seal had to match the number that was on my bill of laden. And then I would sign that. I would email a copy of it to where the destination was. I would give a copy of it to the driver, and I would keep a copy of it. You know why we did that? For security. 
The last reason that that Holy Spirit of promise is there is for security purposes. And the Bible talks about in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. When I put that seal on that truck, it was not allowed to be broken or opened or tampered with in any way until it got to its destination. That was the whole purpose of the seal. The whole purpose of it being written on the piece of paper and emailed and given to the driver and all of these things being checked off. It was all for security purposes. And if that seal was broken, they knew that the contents of that trailer had been tampered with. It was a security measure. You've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, a lot of people want to debate the controversy of eternal security. Every time that story comes up, we have to hear about you running to your cousin, and it's a funny story, and I love it. We don't believe in once saved, always saved. Yes, we do. <laughs> but that, if you talk to a person, and here's what's funny. When someone brings up a person who has a different belief or a different idea, a different doctrine, they always want to relegate them to, to ignorance, and that's really a, a foolish move. Because a person who really knows what they believe, even if it's an incorrect doctrine, can usually defend it pretty well. So you got to know how they're going to defend it and what they're going to say to be able to respond to it. If you ask a person that doesn't believe in eternal security, and you quote verse after verse after verse that talks about eternal life and everlasting life, and how in the world can you not believe in eternal security when eternal life and everlasting life is all through the Bible? Well, they're simply going to respond to you with, yes, it's eternal, it's everlasting after you get to heaven, but between here and there, you can lose it. Not if you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says that we are sealed until we do something wrong, right? And forget to ask forgiveness for it. Is that right? Is that what it said? It says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise uh, unless we uh, decide we don't want to be anymore. Is that what it says? That's not what it says. Now, see, here's the problem. So many people bristle at these things because of most, most of the time it's tradition. And I get that. Uh, I can tell this story. My grandfather is no longer, he, he's deceased, so nobody's going to tell him I used him for a sermon illustration. My granddad went to a primitive Baptist church, and they were very serious about foot washing being an ordinance of the church. Now, I don't believe that foot washing is an ordinance of the church. My granddad was very vehement about this, and, and I didn't discuss it um, because I was, you know, he was my granddad. But just because my granddad believed that doesn't make it so. I love my granddad. He's one of the greatest influences of my life. He's one of, my, one of my favorite people ever. He just happened to be incorrect about that one thing. It don't make him a bad grandpa. It don't make him a bad guy. He just didn't have, he wasn't straight on that particular doctrine. And I still love him, and he's still great, and he's in heaven, and he understands now. <laughs> but people want to get swelled up and mad because their mamma didn't believe in eternal security, and this preacher's telling me that once saved, always saved. Well, I don't know about that, my grand. It really, listen, there's no nice way to say this, and I know I'm not the pastor, and I'm supposed to be nice when he's not here, but it really doesn't matter what your granny said. It really doesn't. It is irrelevant what your, your, your first pastor told you. If it is contrary to the Scripture, then they're wrong. 
The only, the only thing that we weigh is through truth, not experience, not tradition, not belief, not, not things that were passed down from, from your papa. Nobody loves your grandpa more than I do. He just happened to be wrong about the foot washing thing. If you've been taught that a person can lose their salvation, then you simply haven't read and don't understand and won't take the time to study what a seal meant and what a seal was. A seal meant that it's leaving here and it will not be open, it will not be disturbed until it reaches its destination. And my destination is heaven. And when I die, I'm going to heaven and nothing can stop that. Nothing can change that because I've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And that seal is a measure of security that cannot be changed by me or anyone else. I'm saved and going to be saved until I die. Listen, I've done some terrible things in my life. If you know my testimony, I've got some really ugly things in my past after I got saved. But you know what the thing that brought me back, the thing I could not escape, I could not run from, no matter how much I tried, was that conviction of the Holy Spirit that kept drawing me back. He didn't kick me out of the family. He pulled me back in. And if you've been saved tonight and you've put your trust in Christ and your spirit bears witness with that spirit, you cannot lose it no matter what you do. Because it's not based upon you. It's not predicated upon what you did. It's based upon what He did on Calvary. So you didn't have anything to do with it to begin with. All you did was trust in the work that Jesus did on Calvary. And as a result, you were given a free gift of salvation. And for you to imply to me that you can lose your salvation, that means that God will take back something that He gave you for free. Now, I don't know what you guys called that when you were growing up, but it's politically incorrect. And I don't think God's one of those. I can't believe that. Five years ago, I would have said it, but I feel funny about saying it now. God's not going to take back a gift that He gave you. Because that gift's not based upon you. It's not based upon what you did. It's based upon what he did. You know what else? It's not on the list. This is another great thing about a seal. You know what it represented? Completion. See, when Jeremiah sealed that seal, that meant that deal was completed. There were not going to be any more altercations to the deal. It wasn't going to be changed. It wasn't going to be amended. It was finished. When I got saved and I put my trust in Christ, it was done. Finished. I don't have to do it again. I don't have to redo it. I don't have to re-up my salvation. It's finished. How many times did Jesus die on the cross? Hebrews tells us that one time he was offered up. So therefore, one time does me in on salvation. Now let me tell you this. Let me just say this. If you want to throw the free will doctrine in there, let me give you something to chew on a little bit, okay? If you believe that a person can't exercise their free will to apostatize themselves and not be saved anymore, let me promise you one thing. You can't ever get saved again, all right? So you better make sure if you do believe that, you don't mess up. But the truth of the matter is, we're sealed. When? Until the day of redemption. That day of redemption is when he'll come in the clouds and we'll go to meet him there and be raptured out of this world. That's the day of redemption. And nothing can change that and nothing can undo that. The sealing work of the Holy Spirit. So what do we do with that? 
You know what? If we have that power, my advice to you, and we've got just a few minutes, my advice to you, what do we do with that power? Stop living defeated. You don't have to live defeated. Start living. Start sharing. Don't, not only do you stop living defeated because of the power that you have, but start sharing your story because you have the power to do it. Not only should we exercise that power, but what do we do with that authenticity? Conduct yourself as a citizen of the kingdom and a child of God. There's a certain way that we should live and conduct ourselves. There's a certain way that we should operate as citizens and as children of God. And if you're authentic tonight, you've been sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, and it should affect how you live. You know, what do you do with ownership? Well, submit to the ownership of God and relinquish your rights. Give those things up. You don't have, if you got, if you, you know what, you really, the only right we have is to die and spend eternity in hell. That's the only thing we really have coming. But because of God's grace and His mercy, we've been saved and we've been bought with a price and purchased. So relinquish that ownership. Give that up. You'll be, you'll live a lot more peaceful, happy life if you do. It's not my bite. What do I do with that security? You know what? I say live with confidence in your salvation. Don't be second-guessing it all the time. Don't be trying to figure out and wonder if God's kicked you out of the family. That's not a possibility. How anybody could even conceive that God would kick you out of the family is beyond me. I have three children, and I'm telling you, you cannot create a scenario bad enough that I would kick them out of the family. They're my babies, and that's never going to change. Why is it that we think God would do that? So live with confidence. When you make a mistake, when you have a failure, when you have a shortcoming in your life, just go to God and reconcile. Just go to God and fix that thing. Ask for forgiveness and, 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 and straighten things out. You don't have to get back in the family. You were never out of the family. Your relationship may be damaged a little bit, but your citizenship wasn't. Your sonship wasn't. Have security in your salvation. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And for